Hello, and welcome to The Whitaker Show, a conservative show geared towards religion and politics. Thank you for tuning in. Hi, and welcome to The Whitaker Show. This is the episode about biblical contentions as part of the Proving God series. Um, Thanks for tuning in, and I really appreciate all those who have... uh, made it this far into all of my podcasts. Whether people listen to this segment or not, my goal is to bring the Word of God to people through podcasts and to hopefully begin a culture of discussing the Bible instead of just thumping people with it, as we've all seen. People can question the Bible, and as Christians, we should do so every day. The difference is that when we call upon the Holy Spirit to help our understanding, um, this gives us a unique perspective that someone might not have gotten had they been just trying to do it themselves because the Holy Spirit is our link to God it is God and it dwells inside of all of us so when I say that we should question it I don't mean that we should spend every day trying to poke holes in the Bible but it's going to be kind of hard to defend the Bible if we don't learn more about it as well as what each argument is against it as well right so Let's go ahead and dive in. God's Word is very difficult to understand by those who do not believe in Him. And by very difficult, it could be almost impossible. Right? Our human minds are vastly intelligent. We can comprehend a lot of stuff. But it's very, very difficult to understand the eternal Word of God without having the Holy Spirit to guide us. But choosing Christ opens up all of heaven to you. It's not guaranteed that you'll have an easy life, right? Because people always say, well, once you got saved, did your life get immeasurably easier? No. Um, But God is with you through all of it, making you stronger. Look, he saved your soul. His son died for you. You pass through those hardships. You collect faith. You bring others with you, adding their souls to heaven. And you gain so much more, right? So though you may not have an easier life, Knowing that the God of the universe is on your side and that he's with you through all the struggles and that each struggle you go through not only makes you stronger, but benefits the whole kingdom of, of God as a whole. I mean, to me, that's worth it. To me, that's, um, that's more than worth all the struggles that we go through because hardships are a glory to God. The blind man in the word wasn't blind due to some sin perpetuated by him or by his parents right because that's what everyone asked him they're like what sin did this man or did his parents commit that caused him to be born blind but he was blind so that God's glory could be exemplified through that hardship right when Jesus came and rubbed the clay and spit in it and and put it on his eyes and told him to go wash um in the Salaam River that was bringing glory to God because then he could say that I could see I was blind and then I could see they asked him who saved him he says some man named Jesus I don't know who he is but though I was blind now I can see God's telling us not to turn our head from the race when it comes to hardship from our calling which is to go out and then preach to the masses don't blame your troubles on others or situations praise God in them they are opportunities and not roadblocks. And I say this to kind of preface that before we dive into Bible contingents and just spend just a brief amount of time 
debunking some popular claims. You cannot debate someone until you have a very good understanding of what your faith in Christ is and what really brought you to it. And understanding the most popular contention, right, is that life is going to get easier and people, you know, they, they give their life to Christ and then it doesn't and they don't open their, their arms in, in their mind to Christ, right? That's why I'm mentioning this first. Because it can seem like upon getting saved that everything's just going to be a-okay, rainbow in the sky, and look, life's going to be wonderful. I mean, my life since coming to Christ has been nothing but an uphill journey full of blessings and getting married and having the perfect wife, you know, to me. No one's perfect, but I view her as such. Having been provided for financially by God, no matter what happens, and by my family, I mean, being saved has been the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, and it's caused me to have to look at all of my all of my foibles and all of my all of, all of the negatives that are me and I have to address those but what's wonderful is that I get to address those and each time I do I feel like I'm more mature I feel like things fall into place and that I have something to rely on it's just a great feeling to have um, again do not blame your troubles on others or situations praise God in them they are opportunities not roadblocks these struggles are not roadblocks. They're not meant to, st- to stymie you. They're meant to give you a springboard to launch closer to Christ on. In fact, Philippians 1, 21-24 say, For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. What this means is stay the course and live for Christ as your struggle glorifies Him and might just bring someone to Christ. Right? So now let's jump into some contentions. Don't let hard questions and supposed Bible contradictions give you an excuse to either not choose Jesus Christ or to end your belief. That's why I did that whole first part, right? These topics are just the beginning of your walk. All of it. There are so many more multitudes of Bible contentions out there that you need to go research for yourself if apologetics is your thing. And also just to know so that you can have more of a testimony when you talk to somebody. Psalm 119.160 says, The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous ordinances endures forever. Not one word, forever two words. God's word is infallible and is to be viewed in full as well as individually so that one cannot take one part out of context. People will often do that. They'll fight a semantic war with you saying, well, this one verse says so-and-so and it didn't coincide with this, right? And they'll just pick and choose the individual words, as I mentioned coming up, don't get into a semantic war with somebody. Don't be afraid to pause and look up in the word the answer to what you're trying to look at. Playing playing in playing a debate to someone else's rules will almost always equal in you losing the debate. And I'm not saying we should go out there and be debating everyone. Um, uh, the Holy Spirit can reach someone no matter if you debate them or not. What's cool and what's different about normal life versus um, a spiritual life is that you don't have to be perfect 
or to have all the answers in order to talk to somebody about Jesus Christ. You can just say whatever the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit prompts you to say, and that'll be enough because it's God who's going to save them, not you. You're not God. God can do it. Let God do it. So, for instance, people speak of Leviticus 1, 11, 13 through 20. Sorry, 11, 13 through 20, where God mentions flying creatures not to consume. The contention is that God mentioned bats as birds, whereas now we know that, that they're actually mammals. And so some say, well, the Bible can't be true because that guy messed it up. Bats aren't that's not birds they're mammals so therefore your word is, is now fallible well this is where it's important to look at the word that's being used the Hebrew word mentioned in the passage spelled out is O-W-P-H I guess you see that alf I have no idea which could be bird but more accurately means has a wing so when you look at that verse and then he mentions locusts and and bats and all that kind of stuff. He means creatures that have a wing. If this is taken into account, there is no contention. Right? Moses mentions in Leviticus 11, 20-23 that insects have four legs. Another issue with, con with contradictions is that we must consider language and its study as part of the Bible. What is meant now in English was not always so. In fact, the word replenish as used in Genesis 1:28, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it meant at the time of the King James writing in 16:11, to fill completely and not what we think of today as fill up due to having as much before. That's a key. Like replenish didn't have the same meaning. The whole RE part of replenish didn't mean what we associate today to refill. And such words like that. Leviticus 11, 20 through 23 is an example of this. Moses is using a, and this is a very hard word to pronounce, colloquialism. A colloquial just means that speech is everyday and casual. Like, that flip he did was the bomb. That doesn't literally mean what it sounds like, right? He didn't have a bomb strapped to him while doing the flip. When, when Moses says that insects have four legs... And he's talking about all the four-legged creatures not to consume and such. He's being colloquial. It speaks to the time. And it's timeless. I mean, it's still, it's still applicable to us today. Just because someone uses a colloquialism doesn't mean that the word is then meant for a different audience and therefore it's not timeless. That's another contention that I would encourage everyone to go look up. It's how to combat people talking about how it's meant for a different time period or for a different people. No, it's universal. Let me make a, a crucial point. If you can accept that Christ rose from the dead as attested in Corinthians and Mark, then this will be the foundation of your faith. If you cannot accept this, proving the Bible to you isn't impossible, but it'll start a trail where no answer will satisfy you. I talked to a guy the other day who was subscribing to a naturalist approach, combining elements of believing in ancient Egypt and worshiping the sun god Ra. Not that he really worshiped 
the sun god Ra, or that he really believed that ancient Egypt was the penultimate like civilization. But he believed in natural energy, the universe, all this kind of stuff. His arguments always stemmed back to science and man-made ideas and semantics. And he can never understand the fact that faith is what makes Christianity so amazing. Faith. It is by faith that we subsist. Let me give you biblical examples. Hebrews 11, 6 states, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Basically saying that faith is what we live on. You can't directly see God. You can see the world around you, the natural world, which in my opinion and in many other opinions um, justifies the fact that God's real. The fact that life is complex and that there's no way that we could come from nothing. There has to have been something that we come from. Faith, faith is the cornerstone. Just like when you take a step each time you walk, you have faith that the ground will support you. You have faith that your body will keep moving no matter how mindlessly it is that you walk. Especially those who try to chew gum and walk. They have faith that they can keep chewing the gum and walking without smacking into a wall. Faith is the cornerstone to human existence, period. The corollary of 2 Corinthians and Proverbs is another really good contention we need to talk about. We can see a theme here one that I find myself repeating often, often unintentionally to anyone that I debate on religion. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 details how we walk by faith and not by sight. This is helped by a proverb that states, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. This is the hardest thing to grasp. As mentioned earlier with the person that I talked to about universal energy and ancient Egypt, he had done all this research, right, and that science disproved this, or science states this, and even man-made language details this. He could not believe in anything he could not see, hear, or touch. It was impossible for him, he said. I told him, there is no way for me to find common ground on this part of the debate, as I believe dogmatically that the Bible is infallible and that God's word is true. That's just how it is. I have faith that the Bible is true and that though it was written by men, it was God breathed. God inspired it. God had it organized and he got it to us. There are always translations. Through all of them. It's still God's word. And what's great is that I have the Holy Spirit to help me understand it. I don't have to just rely on, you know, man-made ideas. I can rely on the Holy Spirit to tell me the truth of the word that I'm reading at the time. Okay, our disconnect between talking to Sky and trying to find common ground was that he refused to contemplate the idea of faith in things unseen. Inwardly, I chuckled as he acknowledged the existence of the wind, which you cannot see. I'm sure he would comment that you can see the wind's effects, in which case I would smile with love and say, well, I can see the effects of God in everyday life. The Bible says in Romans 1, 19 through 20, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, 
his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his internal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The natural world proves Jesus Christ, proves God, proves the Word, because our foundation is not just these facts that I'm mentioning, but our foundation is that Jesus rose from the dead. If you can believe in that, you can believe in anything. The fact that our universe is so complex and that something can't come from nothing and that we as human beings are so complex, there's no way a random chance just happened to create us as the only sentient being on this earth. The only being capable of creating and of having a mind and having intelligence. No other creature compares to it. And to have all these things that happen naturally just happen randomly? What's the meaning in life at that point? I'd say there is no meaning in life in that point. God provides the meaning in life that, that lets us continue forward each day. Because of the belief in Jesus Christ, we have meaning. We have a reason to keep going. If you wake up in the morning and your first consolation is that, well, I'm still breathing. I still get to go to work. Here are my kids. I'm still making money. That's not enough. In a universe that random, that's only just there because it's there, to me doesn't seem much of a reason to keep going. Especially once you consider that what happens when you die? Is all the stuff that you just did for nothing? To me, that's not enough. That's, that can't be enough. And God intended it to be so much more. We leave a legacy as we live. Bringing others to Christ. Creating podcasts to talk about Jesus. Talking to your kids about going to heaven. About the eternal values of the Bible. That not only talk about heaven, but talk about how to live your life right now. These things provide meaning and they provide a stamp that you can make on the entire world every day. Every single day. So let's wind down a little bit. My first premise to accepting proof of God's existence lies in accepting his son rose from the dead. Let me give you a quote from a non-Christian philosopher named Anthony Flew. The evidence for the resurrection is better than for claimed miracles in any other religion. It's outstandingly different in quality and quantity, unquote. You can do your own searches around the web and from prominent secular and non-secular scientists as well as philosophers about whether or not the resurrection happened. The point is, the journey begins once you accept this premise. What we all need is a map. Maps provide clear mental models of the terrain we must navigate. The word of God is our map. We just need to dive into it. Please go out there. Look up the archaeological evidence for Jesus. Look up prominent articles, find dissenting opinions, and engage in them. Look at this stuff. Look at the evidence for the world only being 6,000 6, years old, about how the flood could provide a vast amount of fossils as we see them now, and that, and that it doesn't take millions of years. Look at the different particles that prove the 6,000 year theory. There are so many topics out there and then tie it all back to the Word. At the end of the day, we should preach the Word, not just scientific facts. God and the Bible, prove, prove, it proves itself. It doesn't contradict itself. There's an explanation for all that stuff. Not excuses, but explanations. And then once you have that foundation of relying on the Word, 
that's when you can start diving into the extra facts. I know for me, when I came to Christ, I viewed everything literally. I wanted to know the exact facts. I didn't want there to be any contentions that couldn't be easily researched. So, when God finally, not finally, but when God came to me, gloriously came to me, and showed me His eternal life, it wasn't through facts. His Spirit just overwhelmed me. And now I I try to use facts when I talk to people with my literal mind. But what's crazy, I can turn off the literal and, and, and just rely on faith. But what's even better, right? Not better as in faith being trumped, but the fact that God uses that strength for everybody. God allows me to look at facts. And this even more bolsters my faith and allows me to continue on because I, I just love the data and the facts. But the fact that we have data and facts on our side should give everyone a reason to praise God this morning. That not only can we just read the word and that be enough because Jesus is enough, the word is enough. But you can go out there and find tons of supporting evidence for all of our claims. That's how powerful God is. Even science serves him. Look, thanks for listening. And don't forget to share God's love as well as this podcast podcast with others if you liked it. Have a blessed day. And again, thank you for listening to the show.